Hey, hey, welcome to season three, episode one of the Funhouse Family Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Taves. On today's show, we talk to local actor and podcast host, Evan Christopher. Evan acts regionally and has worked with Play Your Part, Copious Love, and the Funhouse Family. He is also the host and creator of Save the D8 through Party Fish Media. So why don't you stick around and mash? Join us. I think absurd conspiracy theories fall underneath the same thing of why humanity itself loves stories. Mm. It's its own story, and it does give the ability for people to feel like they're not only a part of that story, but could end up being the hero that breaks everything open, that shows the world about um, how smart and how they knew about it the whole time, and they were trying to be a savior. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a bit of a savior complex kind of deal. Yeah, like like a little bit of, um, like, I want to participate in this. I want, I, I want my voice to matter in this specific story or... Yeah, I mean, especially nowadays, because with all the social media that we have, we have a giant outreach, mm-hmm. which I feel also kind of, not only do we have a giant outreach to the world now, it, it feels that everything's become smaller because now your voice is much less heard. Right. Where you had people within your town or your work or so forth that you know are having to deal with you now, you're now putting this out into the world, and either people are either like either agreeing or disagreeing with you and you're getting attention that way mm-hmm. or you're just throwing it out there and getting more frustrated because nobody's paying attention to you. Right. And I feel like nowadays where we're all kind of vying for attention from people because there's such a reachability for everybody right? that if you're not getting attention then you're either feel like you're being ignored or that you don't matter. And so I feel like it's like its own thing building upon itself now. It's like a sense of like uh, retain, like uh, attaining some control of the narrative. In right. That's what I hear about it. Um, so for people who don't know you, can you give us a brief or however long history of who you are? Who is Evan Christopher? Uh, well, I am a 30-ish year old man. Uh, it's <laughs> overweight, uh, but oh. still athletic. Uh, I am a tradesman by nature at now, college graduate, um, veteran of a United States war that I'm not particularly happy about. <laughs> and uh, I enjoy my my uh, graphic t-shirts. Yeah, I enjoy them too. What do you got on right now? What is oh, that? Uh, this is uh, my uh, El, El Taco de Prayer, uh-huh. uh, which is pretty much the prayer beads with tacos because I love tacos. Yeah, and it's like there's a sense of like irony with it too. That I like. <laughs> well, who doesn't love tacos? Tacos are great, <laughs> and and graphic t- and ironic graphic tees as yeah. well. Yeah, I still consider them a sandwich. The tacos? Yeah. Why? Because of the two sides? Because it's a uh, got like a bun? I don't know. <laughs> what makes it a sandwich? It's a container uh, that's usually made of bread. Doesn't uh-huh. always have to be, but it's a container that holds a filling that you then eat with your hands. Yeah. That's my interpretation of a sandwich. This might tie into the next thing. So I'm assuming as a young child, you ate a lot of tacos and sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bridge that gap with... Um, so <clears throat> going back in time a little mm. bit, um, can you speak a little bit about your upbringing, um, specifically about your journey through like the public education system and your relationship with your family? Uh, yeah. So... Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a product of 
in the United States 90s, uh, divorce, child, number one. Mm-hmm. And you know, my parents split up when I was young. Um, I ended up kind of bouncing between the two um, for most of my life. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a bit, it was, I'd say it's a bit hard uh, kind of growing up that way because you never really had a, a set life or rules you know of like yeah. how because i think i think school culture is always different for every school there's like some kind of certain rules or some kind of hierarchy that you're supposed to know right. and deal with um also later on in my life uh i was diagnosed with asperger's mm-hmm. so that also made it very difficult too um but i still enjoyed going to school and learning stuff uh with the uh, high-level functioning Asperger's that I had, I kind of had a problem in school of uh, I would constantly like to skip ahead right, reading the books, and uh, I never really did my homework uh, because I thought I'd, I knew it. There was no point in doing the homework if you knew it, so I would get uh, my, my test would come back great, but I would always get zeros on my homework because I never turned it in. Right. So I was constantly accused of cheating, and then I'd have to take a test again. Eventually in high school, they made me go to a special ed class for one quarter just so then that way they could prove that I was whether I was cheating or not and they just gave me the homework at the beginning of class so it didn't make any sense mm. and then after that they go well since you did a quarter of uh, special ed you cannot graduate at the same time as everybody else is so you have to retake your entire uh, sophomore year oh so did you had mentioned earlier that um, d- did you complete high school formally no, I okay. did not. Um, actually, I ended up dropping out of high school. Yeah. Um, at the time, uh, my father had a new family. My mother could not afford to take care of both myself and my sister. Right. So uh, at the age of 15, she emancipated me and I became a legal adult. Uh, and I went to a program called Job Corps down in Astoria, Oregon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Part of Job Corps. Uh, there I got to learn uh, several different trades like being a plaster, uh, electrician, um, a chef, mm-hmm. and as well as I got my GED my first two months that I was there. And then they had their own kind of secondary high school that was there as well, right. which I thought actually had some classes that kids could benefit nowadays, like mm-hmm. how to say, how to make a budget, yeah. um, how to be able to write a resume letter, all of that kind of deal. Right. And uh, I ended up graduating through their secondary high school there. So I have a GED and a high school diploma however that means being in uh working as an educator myself i i sometimes think that the public education system specifically depending on like what school district you're in whether it's like a lower socioeconomic or higher socioeconomic there is this um assumption that all kids will go to college there's like this idea of college and career readiness um, and I feel like there's a lot more emphasis on the college part and less on like the career part. And that makes me job core makes me think of like the, the, the tools and the skills that the labor force like that, that is needed that, that are in the same, um, how, how can I put this? Um, it's just, it's almost like it's othered or marginalized in this weird way. It's like, Oh, you're a job. Like, because when I was in high school, there was this like, idea of like the kids who went to job core were sort of othered or put into this category of like, Oh, those are the kids who couldn't fit in blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think looking back on that, I like, I have some shame in that because there's like, I think it's bullshit because there are people out there where it's like being a mechanic or learning a trade is just as, um, 
is just as worthy as getting a college education. I don't know. Do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, being a college graduate myself and yeah. also as a tradesman. You um, have that both worlds. A I do bit. have both yeah. worlds. And uh, I, I think you're right. Uh, thinking of my own time back in high school, I usually remember being constantly threatened by my uh, career counselor or, right. or something like that of, uh, if you just, if I like remember with the homework that they would say, if you don't get to get up for that, you're never going to get into a good college and you're never right. going to get a good job and you're never going to have a good life. Mm-hmm. You know, like here I am, you know, not even 16 yet. And I have them already kind of, kind of brainwashing my head right. of this is a, something that is necessity. Whereas because of that, now you have people constantly putting themselves into debt to go to college, to get these great jobs, which are either too full or they're just not there anymore, and trades are hurting, and there's constantly need of it. I mean, right, uh, right now, as I'm an electrician, a fully licensed O1 electrician, mm-hmm. it took me five years of trade school to do while working at the same time. So I was actually earning money to, to take care of myself at the same time mm-hmm. as actually learning a skill, which is desperately needed. I mean, when we, I, we just did a whole thing at school about the growth that we had. The time that I came in, we only had 378 students at that time. That yeah. was my first year. Yeah. Now it's my fifth year almost coming to an end, and we're up to 1,730. Like There is a massive gain because we have so much construction, especially here in Seattle, that's going up. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a kind of... Uh, faux pas for looking down upon tradesmen mm-hmm. and seeing in their dirty clothes and you know their their ratty appearance because they're constantly you know working with um, all kinds of in unclean environments right considered to be lower than and same thing as for those who are mechanics same thing for those who work at mcdonald's and all of that there should be no shame for what your job is mm-hmm. especially for those who provide a necessity if you don't know how to work on your car mm-hmm. You go to a mechanic to fix your car because that's how they're trained and they know what to do. If they, if you think that their price is too high, go find somebody else. Right. But they think that they're valued worth of that, so that's what they should be able to get paid. Same thing for somebody who was a garbage man. You're not going to go and take your garbage out. You have paying somebody else to go and take care of that, and which is a very disgusting job. Yeah. So it's thankless too. It's very thankless, and people yeah. would look down on someone who's a garbage man who probably makes more than several people who work at Amazon who are not executives you know like i know some of the garbage men around here are pulling home well over a hundred thousand dollars a year yeah not out of their like not out of grow like out of their gross you know they are able to afford their homes and so forth um how how does your family value what's their um thoughts and philosophies on the value of work um pretty high uh my my mother has constantly worked her ass off especially after the divorce with my dad Mm -hmm. uh, at points sometimes working two three jobs uh to be able to take care of us i can uh funny anecdote with that yeah uh there was a christmas i think i was about uh 11 12 and uh, all i wanted was a playstation that's Mm -hmm. all i wanted and i was like i just kept dropping hints to my mom of i want a playstation i want a playstation and uh my for christmas uh my mom there was presents underneath the tree, and I was like, oh, which one is it? Which one's going to be the PlayStation? And she's like, oh, there's a couple of them there for you, but they're all very small. Nothing that could fit a PlayStation. I was like, what's this? Like, I didn't get the PlayStation. And she's like, the rest of your gifts are outside. Mm-hmm. And she took me outside, and 
I thought, oh, she's just playing. She's like going to do a big reveal there. No, it was a bunch of uh, lawn care equipment. Oh, okay. It was a lawnmower. It was a <laughs> weed whacker. It was like just taking care of yard stuff. And I was like, what's this? Right. So she's like, I got, I bought you all of this, all of this huh. it, pretty new. Like it wasn't new, new, but like barely used equipment for pretty cheap. Right. And she's like, I went around and I got a bunch of jobs for you to work around yards around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is terrible. She's All I wanted was a PlayStation. <laughs> she's trying you know? to teach and you the try- value of work. And she's like, she's like this, this, you can earn money to do that. And I was like, that sucks. Yeah. Right? But I ended up going and working for him. And at first, I was like, I don't want to do this because I'm doing work. But then I had realized in my weird <laughs> infantile mind as, an, as a child, I was like, look, if I do it really quick... Then I can just get paid and get done. But then I found out I wasn't doing it as well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this is taking more time if I'm not doing it as well. Right. So now I was like, all right, do the job as good as you can the first time. That way you don't have to come back. But then after that, I began to learn, of, oh, if I do the job really good, they keep rehiring me. And they're actually st- I actually started upping my prices because I could beat other kids doing the work because they didn't have to keep coming back to redo right. it. I could be like, I charge... $15 an hour while little Billy's charging seven, but I'll get done before little Billy does. Or at home playing PlayStation while you're out mowing lawns. Well, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, and my mother will not let me forget it. She's yeah. like, all right, you didn't get your PlayStation during Christmas. However, after doing work for two months, the PlayStation price had dropped by that point because it was already so high from Christmas. So it dropped later when they had an oversale. Right. And then I was able to get it for pretty cheap plus extra games because of the money I was, I was already working for. Yeah, there you go. Um, shifting gears a little bit, um, if you're comfortable or whatever you're comfortable with, can you expand on your time in the military? Yeah. Um, what do you mean by expand though? Um, just any kind of like background, like what did you do? Like what were some of your duties and responsibilities? What was that experience like? Whatever you're wanting and feeling comfortable talking about. Sure. Um, well, my time in the military, uh, it was an interesting one, uh, at the time, I thought that the only way to be able to get into college would be actually joining the military. Um, I thought that it would be best to go there, uh, get my college degree, and and get out. And luckily enough, I scored very high on the uh, ASVAB test Mm -hmm. in order to get in. And so one of the few things that they wanted me to do was to uh, join the Navy and be on a uh, nuclear submarine, which I absolutely hated, and I did not want to do that at all. Why? Well, um, just thinking about it, like those subs are under underwater for months, mm. and I feel like I would end up getting claustrophobic. Yeah, I was just and say, yeah. like the smell, you know, like you're still going to end up having to do a lot of physical exercise when you're down there because there's not much room, and like you're so tightly compacted together. I was like, well, sure, I might get to see the world, but. I'm probably not actually going to end up seeing it because I'm probably going to be sitting under the water for like months at a time. Yeah. You know, same point. And then uh, I actually tried to join in the Air Force. I wanted to try to do that. But uh, by the way, quick note about that. If you're going to join the military, join the Air Force. Make that your number one top priority. They get the most money. They get the <laughs> most. They get the best out of everything. Join the Air Force. Then join the Army if you can't do that. They're second best. <laughs> what what do you how do you feel like your time in the military influenced the person you are today? Um, well, I think it definitely made me half jaded and half more masculine as I would have to put it. 
Mm. Uh, definitely going in, I was mostly raised under a feminine branch on my from my mother's side. Um, yeah. She ended up looking after me more than my father would. My father was quite the, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, womanizer, mm. that's it. Okay. Um, so I constantly always had a new girlfriend of his I had to learn a name with. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So that was typically the sense of masculinity that I got from him. Uh, while being in the army, uh, I definitely had to learn how to be a man. Mm. Um, at the same time of realizing that a lot of the male constructs that they have are kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, what does that look like, learning to be a man? In the military? Saying. Yeah. Um, learning for loyalty. Okay. Um, sticking up, like sticking up for your buddies, mm. being there for them. Uh, don't be afraid to back down from a fight. Yeah. Uh, being able to uh, stand your ground and believe, and for what you believe in. Uh, learning how to be able to get over a problem, uh, even if there's no good way to solve it. You mm -hmm. know, like uh, one of the things I would say for sure is there's a lot of teasing, a lot of uh, everybody poking fun at each other, especially about the way you look or something that you did. I guarantee you, if you did something that was a mess up. They'll never let you forget it, mm. right? And it definitely taught me on how to be able to deal with that kind of stuff, especially in the sense of bullying. Right, of hazing. That. Yeah, uh, bullying, hazing. Um, I mean, you can. everybody can say what they want about it. I, I know for most of us, it was like our own way of, I guess, keeping check, right? I mean, everybody has their own insecurity. There was literally not a single person that I was with that didn't have something where you could have poked fun at them about. Right. And so it became a deal of that, oop, you made a mistake, you're going to get shit for it. Right. But it was the way that you handled it. If you started freaking out and like yelling at people about that, about, you know, stop it and that kind of thing, um, about that, typically they would end up letting it go because you got that reaction out of them. Mm -hmm. Where most of the time for me, when then after seeing that a lot, I ended up being like, oh, yeah, you guys are right. Yeah. Nope. Total bonehead move. <laughs> nope. I made a mistake. I won't do that again. Right. And, you know, tangentially, sometimes it would always ever come up. But if I never made a really big deal about it, it usually took all the fun out of it. But at the same point, then, and then at points it became funny anecdotes where then we could go out and be like, remember that time where Evan fell off the helicopter because he was being a dumbass? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I can remember that. Oh, God, guys, I can't remember. You keep bringing that up. You got to you gotta develop a thick skin, it sounds like. Yeah, um, you can develop a thick skin. Uh, typically with, within most of us, though, there is, um, there is a bit of a learning curve. Right. I think there's a difference between getting a thick skin and in the sense of bullying. You can see bullying that's there. And even in the times of military, people will call other people out for bullying because if, like, let's say if you were making fun of me yeah. about something and I told you, hey, man, stop, that's really getting under my skin or you're making it hard for me to work, then, yeah, at that point, typically people will end up giving you space, mm -hmm. right? But then at the same point, like when people are freaking out or making a big deal or that kind of stuff, those guys end up actually end up getting ostracized mm. um, just because they, they're they making a big deal that typically everyone else kind of goes through. You're right. It is. I guess hazing is a good point for it, but it's that weird sense of breaking you down to realize that you're not alone. Everybody has their own mistakes. And believe me, like there were times that I had a really tough time when I had made a mistake and like I would go off to myself and some other guy would come and be like, hey man, I heard what happened. 
you know, I'm sorry that, you, that you're feeling bad. Hey, let me tell you the story about when I made a mistake, mm. you know. There's a little bit of a camaraderie there. There is. It's I, not just like bullying and hazing. It's it's like, hey, we all have to deal with this shit. We all have to eat our shit too. Yeah, like we all need to admit when we all make a mistake. And right. I, def- I definitely know for me because of how I grew up and a lot of the stuff of that I felt ashamed for at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I used to lie a lot and mm. was trying to make myself seem cooler than I was because I wanted people to like me. Oh, interesting. Um, however, as I got older and while being in the military, it kind of taught me more of accepting myself over who I am and just being honest of like, hey, I can still you know, connect with people outside of, uh, outside of what I am just through my own mistakes of that. We can be like, man, I've been there. I understand yeah. that. You know, it makes me sense much more relatable. And then it's seeing the super cool guy that never does wrong. Right. Exactly. I want to talk about, um, your upbringing and it's inner and intersection with your own art making, but we're going to take a quick break. Um, and after the break, we'll resume. Mm-hmm. The Funhouse family is seeking 10-minute plays for our upcoming flagship anthology show, Funhouse 6, produced in association with Theater Off Jackson in the International District in Seattle. We're seeking scripts of any genre from comedy, drama, horror, sci-fi, parody, and or musicals. You can find all submission details on FunhouseFan.com or on social media at FunhouseFan. And come see Funhouse 6 at Theater Off Jackson in June, baby. Now, back to the show. You spoke a little bit about your background. I'm interested in knowing how it influenced your pursuit of theater and art and performance. Well, that is a sticky question in itself because my parents both are not exactly too thrilled that I decided to do that. Uh, both my parents uh, were theater majors themselves. Um, at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts is actually where they met. Mm-hmm. And uh, they both are very quite talented artists yeah. in their own right. Um, but again, they also were very worried because of their own times that they had spent um, trying to make it big, mm. um, spending their time in California and so forth to make it. And, you know, it just it didn't happen for them. Mm-hmm. And they definitely left me with a, I don't want to say jaded, but a much better wide-eye view that I feel that I've seen some other people coming out with. Um, where I still believe that praise needs to be done and being able to boost your buddy up is a deal. I think also being able to be grounded at some points is, ne- is a necessity where um, there are some very talented people out there that I believe do deserve the work, a lot of the work that could be out there, but there's just they just don't have the luck. A lot of this, a lot of this trying to make it big is all very full of luck. And sometimes getting propositions for things you definitely don't want to do. Hmm. And um, like, what do you have an example of that? Something you've been that's been proposed to you that you didn't want to do or you didn't want to? Yeah, take uh, I guess I could be honest about this. Yeah, um, I really haven't told much people about this, but yeah, whatever I think you want to share. I, well, I think it's yeah. fair. I mean, if people, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna say it, I should I should tell the story. There was a point where I was offered a. Um, potential indie role for a film in being a being a lead actor for yeah however uh i was also told that i would need to uh spend the night with somebody oh at the same time like sleep with this person or yes and let them do whatever they wanted to me for that night oh okay because that's how the business works yeah and uh 
honestly, I had to think about it for about 24 hours. And I know there's probably some people thinking like, oh, well, it was an indie film. It's not like a big Hollywood movie producer. Yeah, Yeah, but at the same point, like, to me, I was like, oh, maybe this is the thing that will kickstart it, you know? And I've talked with other people before that have dealt in the same situation that have either gained some success or it didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And in the end, for myself, I just had to say, no, um, I, I, I just, I, I couldn't do it. Right. Uh, mainly because I, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was a way to earn it properly. I wanted it to really go off of my skills rather than just because I was somebody's, uh, teddy bear for the night. Right. And then also just a insight into the dysfunctional power dynamics in the film industry, mm-hmm. you know, being like, oh, do this thing. It's like, what, like a quid pro quo in some way. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting because uh, one of the reasons why I never really even brought that up is because I feel people don't believe it. Yeah. Well, um, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it's it's almost like in the same way about what happened with. Terry Crews, and one of the main reasons why I feel like I've definitely identified with Terry Crews um, after his ordeal is because uh, I'm I'm not a leading man look looking kind of deal, right? Uh, but I'm definitely I definitely am a type for some people. Sure. And uh, I think that it doesn't matter how you look. I think, in fact, in some points, it's even not about about you looking so good, but at points that they feel that you might be vulnerable. And having a sense of power over you, right. and and having getting off on the power instead of the actual I'm with somebody extremely good looking, right? Um, that I think that some of these people have, or they enjoy having that power. Yeah, yeah, and I think it, it and I think it's just all like it's all related to ego and mm-hmm. pride, and um, yeah, I don't, I yeah, that's all. That's a that's a whole other podcast <laughs> we can delve into. Way, um, we're not gonna crack the psyche now. Let's focus on some positives. Um, sure. What attracts you to acting and performance? I don't get to be me. Okay. <laughs> I, expand on that. A well, bit. so when uh, the fir- I remember one of the first things I ever wanted to be when I was a kid, when they ask you, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, some kids said they wanted to be a football player, some firemen, some said they wanted to be a princess. I wanted to be a sharp tooth which was my favorite character from the Land Before Time because I was really into dinosaurs. Yeah. And I loved Tyrannosaurus Rex, but they call him Sharptooth in the movie. Right. Okay. So yes, I, remember. I remember that my mom helped me make a dinosaur costume yeah. and I dressed up as a Tyrannosaurus Rex for the day. Right. Um, where people then said, oh, that's such a pipe dream. You're never going to be able to be a dinosaur. It's impossible. <laughs> and, you know, they're half right <laughs> um but then after like i wanted then you know as i got older i was realizing um how much i loved watching movies right. um i've been much more of a movie person than a tv person but i've always enjoyed the stories yeah and i've got to watch for those and uh, i always loved having that fulfillment of the story and getting to tell that story that i was like oh i want to do that yeah. i want to tell a story that becomes inspiring to other people sure. that like maybe it doesn't like uh resonate with them so hard like oh, i became a doctor because of that movie but maybe something about that movie got him interested into the medical field and then as that grew hmm. you know and it also to me became a thing of well when i couldn't become the dinosaur i was like well what did i want to be mm-hmm. and there was so many things and i was like why can't i want to learn how to why can't i learn to be all of them right so i thought as 
an actor, I thought it would be a sneaky way to be able to get this movie studios to be like, pay for me to go and learn how to be an astronaut for a yeah. couple of weeks and I could oh, be an astronaut or then I could be a fireman or then I could be uh, Oscar the Grouch at some point and be able to get to learn all this extra little stuff. Like not have a full like, what is it? Um, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Right. I, not kind of it's almost like uh, getting... Um getting inside the skin of somebody else's lived experience and, right. and, 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 um, you know, like you playing an astronaut, you know, you have to do a, quite a bit of research and, and learn what those duties, responsibilities, what that experience is like so that it is authentic and that it comes across as, you know, genuine to the audience as well. And I think the audience can and you learn something tell. too, yeah, right. From it doing, I got to learn something from it, and then like, like if I was to be an astronaut, I for sure would want to talk to astronauts because since I've never been one, what were their fears? What are their things? Because even in the same sense, when you have the writing for it, not a lot of writers always do their research, right? So it becomes a, it becomes a good idea for an actor to go ahead and try to be like, well, it says here I'm supposed to be brave, but. And talking about this with the astronaut, I'd be like, I'd be scared for my life. Right. So, what's the emotionality there? Yeah. So yeah. it's being able to have that fear of God inside of you while still trying to trudge forth on said spacewalk. Exactly. Right. While you're being brave, but being able to also show that, oh, I would, I'm probably shooting my pants inside making, the spacesuit at the same time. Making that internal conflict external to the audience right. to see that. Um, so you talked about a little bit about um, like Land Before Time and some of the, you watched some movies growing up that uh, inspired you. Like what are some other artistic influences that you were um, inspired by or that kind of jump-started this thought? Um, let's see here. Uh, video games for sure. Okay, yeah. Um, being able to uh, read comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, just all in all doing make-believe. Right. Um, I definitely think I got to the point where I became too old to play make-believe on the playground and uh, hmm. other kids were kind of like uh, Evan grow up it's it's a what's it um it's middle school now come on we're all playing kickball and I was like well, I want to play make-believe yeah I want to be that astronaut yeah. <laughs> and hence the acting in theater um so let's shift gears a little bit I want to talk about your podcast um mm-hmm. save the d8 um so it's a and d podcast uh, I don't know much about D&D, only just the theoretical that it's it's a game, it's a role-playing game, um, you know, it's fan- deals in fantasy. Right. Um, so w- what's the premise of your podcast of uh, Save the D8? The premise of my podcast is four people who uh, all are very much uh, into their own interests uh, go out to adventure and make themselves a prophet, mm-hmm. but at the same time find themselves constantly entangled into um, several adventures that are unfortunately leading them down a path that they weren't prepared for. So we're, um, as the audience, we're following the same group of characters yes. throughout like these seasons. So it's not like uh, r- rotating characters. It's the same core cast members or characters. That's correct. Okay. Uh, our, our four main characters, played by my lovely players, uh, Monica, Skylar, Kendall, and Robert, mm-hmm. uh, all play as these I best way to say assholes, uh, <laughs> self-interested, who, self-interested <laughs> assholes, uh, who at first are you know into trying to um, make 
make their fortune mm. and then finding themselves in ta- like getting on the wrong side of some bad people and right. now are not only trying to do what's right mm-hmm. but um try to get back uh, at those who would do them wrong and like the best way that i used to say it it's the it's the people um trying to save the world in the worst way right um it, it, the, the, do you consider them like anti-heroes then in a way for sure yeah, they're flawed. definitely anti-heroes um they they tend to cause trouble wherever they go. Why D and D? Well, I think D and D is probably one of the more artistically challenging, but also the most freeing way game that you can ever play. Right. I think that it's inspired most of the games that's out there, and it gives you the chance to be once again of whoever you want. Right. You know, in the main essence of those who have never played D&D, it can look very scary of a lot of rules, mm-hmm. a lot of dice. Uh, I'm intimidated by yeah, it for a sure. A massive page of stuff, <laughs> right? And it can seem very scary. I mean, hell, I honestly didn't even start playing until my early 20s. Mm. It was very it was very intimidating. And I think at some points, when people have played before, they might have had a DM who was very much more interested in their certain set story mm-hmm. as the dungeon master you kind of tell the story as the players play along mm-hmm. um my particular philosophy is everybody's playing together the dm is not your enemy the guy you're against right typically you're not really against anybody at the table that you're playing with everybody's kind of playing together the the dungeon master role in itself is more of like a referee mm. you know and Essentially, usually the dungeon master usually tries to help the players the best way they can to tell the, to tell not the dungeon master's story but the player's story. Gotcha. So this is kind of hinting at my next question: is what what do you think separates your podcast from other D and D podcasts? Because I know there's a ton of them out there. I know at least a few people who have D and D podcasts outside of just you. But what do you feel like separates? Yeah, it separates yours from others. Well, the number one for me is always my players. Right. My players make make the my players make the story. Mm-hmm. It's I can be honest, it's very difficult and I think there's a bunch of DMs that are about to cringe when I'm about to say, but it's very Say it baby, say it. It's very somewhat <laughs> sandbox like. Yeah. Where I give them several choices and I kind of have branches of where they go and it's it can be a lot cuz at the same time as whatever choice they make, there are other things that end up happening because they didn't pick a certain choice. Right. Which they're starting to find out now in some of these uh later episodes that we have coming up. Yeah. So I would say that it's that. I also think it's also part of our editing process. Our editor that we have has been putting in um, sound effects and also um, ambiance in itself. So when they're in the forest, you can hear the sounds of the forest playing. Uh, You know, you can also when they cast their magical spells, you can hear the magic go off. You can Mm -hmm. hear explosions. You can hear sword fighting. You know, there's. I think it becomes much more immersive as we try to. I don't want to call it as an audio drama because it's not scripted, but right. we try to make it somewhat like that. It's There's a theatricality to it, for sure. Right, as we're all pretty much theater people. Right. And, and what I also hear, too, and you mentioned this earlier, is this idea of the the dungeon master the one who essentially is coordinating the game and and facilitating the story right um 
and in my talks with you outside of the podcast, you've talked about how a lot of dungeon masters are, there's a lot of almost ego involved with it where it's like, it's very much like, well, it's my story and we're going to tell it this way. But what I hear from you is that you, you're really trying to uplift your players to, to make the choices and to go a different direction. Is, do you feel like that is an accurate statement or? Somewhat. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel that there are some dungeon masters out there that definitely are like, this is my story right. and I'm going to railroad you through this and giving like you only have certain kinds of options to go with. And typically, these are usually also very much power players. I mean, the, you, you do have some players themselves that can also be a hassle to work with because they're trying to min-max their player to the best level. And instead of really role-playing in the character they've decided, they're just like, I just want to be the best. Right. Same thing of, of a story of like, oh, I don't want you doing that. I want you doing this because this works better with my story comparably. Sure. Right? So, once again, as I for me, I feel that the best way is always having open communication with your players. Mm -hmm. Especially if there's a potential fight or a problem that comes out. Um, I, For me, even during the podcast, uh, I'll stop and I'll just say, hey, what's going on? Let's work this out right now. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like a lot of times people will just kind of let things fester. Right. And eventually it'll grow into like a painful tumor that eventually will just pop. Right. Which then ends up having a lot of D and D groups fall apart because mm -hmm. of that happening. Instead of taking care of the awkward uncomfortability of something happening sure. at that particular time. Sure. And in all honesty, if you're playing with people that are making you uncomfortable with their playing choices, or the DM is doing things that you feel uncomfortable with, leave. I know it can be really hard sometimes to find another D and D group out there, mm -hmm. but. Forcing yourself to play with people that are not making it fun doesn't or belittle your choices. Exactly. Or, yeah. 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 It sounds like you you make efforts to create a, a safe space with your group. Yes, I mean to be honest, a, a playful safe space <laughs> with a little bit. Well, of Well, this edge, is D and D. There is right. definitely going to be some some danger that'll be involved. <laughs> yeah. uh, but navigating personalities. <laughs> Uh, typically with me, within my game, uh, the one rule that we have set up pretty much is uh, no sexual assault. Mm -hmm. I don't believe there's any story out there yeah. that uh, needs to have sexual assault. Is that something in D like that you see in D&D &D culture? Is like rape fantasies and stuff like that? Unfortunately, or? yeah. Um, ah, there, there does tend to... <laughs> That's gross. I've, I have had a, a, a couple of DMs and a couple of players that have definitely tried to do some uh, some very bad things that they wouldn't do in the real world that I feel like they're trying to exercise uh, their... Like some wish-fulfillment weird... Kind of, and, yeah. And uh, on, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make... There's nobody at a table that ever feels comfortable with that kind of right. thing. As well as, again, I don't think there's any story that needs to have to have that kind of thing. Right. No, I mean, it's not necessary. It's just harmful. Right. And so where... Because I can't say there are points of, like, there's definitely murder and there's yeah, definitely yeah, torture yeah. i mean and, it's a yeah it's an action game yeah. right yeah. and and so that was one of the things i'm bringing up with my players but all my players agreed that yeah, yeah. they were pretty much open with everything aside yeah. from the sexual assault and yeah and i think i also think like having you know knowing what i know about skylar and monica they're they're gonna call you on that shit oh yeah <laughs> um so what do you what's the ideal future for the podcast where do you want it to go 
or maybe it's not maybe it's like a, a month by month or you know but but what do you like where do you want to what direction do you want to take it in well i would love to have it be to a point where we could definitely be able to meet up more that we could make more episodes for people to listen to typically we're about an hour or under which is also one of the things that I think uh, makes us different than other podcasts because typically those D&D podcasts are about four hours long. Right. But I think I would like to be able to make more. I would like to be able to play with them more. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, when we finish with these characters, we'll be able to make new ones. Um, it would also be really fun to have someone else who's a DM outside of me to help take over and make a story and right. I can end up being a player. I think that would be really good. I don't need. I don't have the urge to have to tell all of the stories. Uh, I think being able to follow someone else's story would be really great. Okay, we got time for one more question, mm-hmm. and I want you to think about this in the lens of just the creative field. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your thoughts and philosophies is the idea of being okay with failure. Um, why is it okay to fail? I think being okay to fail is the only way that we can ever really learn Mm. and be able to grow from whatever that we have to do. Mm -hmm. There are people out there that can be talented right off the bat on certain things and that they have a natural talent for, and that's great. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do that thing. Mm. It also doesn't necessarily mean that just because that one person is more talented doesn't mean that you can't do it as well. And that your failures can be your motivating force to grow better. If you constantly always win, you never have the feeling that you have to get better to do better because you're already the best. Mm -hmm. Whereas those who have failed have realized that, oh, I haven't made it now. I need to change with this at the times to make myself better. And you will realize that during the time, how everything evolves during time, that you will have to learn to go with the flow rather than make uh, a barrier of that, oh no, I'm already the best. I don't need to be better. The only way to be able to grow and, and and become better at whatever it is you're working on or you're doing relationships whatsoever is realizing when you've made a mistake and owning up to it and be like, oh, okay, I have made a mistake. I have failed. Yeah, This is where I need to do to go to get better. And realizing that you are human and that is just going to happen. Right. There is nobody that's perfect and the essentially trying to end up becoming a perfectionist will always already end up in failure because nobody mm. can be perfect. Yeah, we're all imperfect, man. But being able to become just better at things yeah. can be that. I know for me personally, I have a very hard time when it comes to um, people's uh, uh, pre- prefaces. Sorry. Preconceived uh, notions? About no, they're... I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, for like he, him, or pronouns. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. yeah. Pronouns. Pronouns. Uh, yeah. I, as you can see, I have a hard time sometimes with pronouns. Uh, <laughs> Literally knowing the word the pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it is it can be a, it can be a, a pain. And you beat honest, yourself up for it. I do. Yeah. Uh, I do beat myself up for it, and I know that most of the time. It's usually just that they understand that it's yeah. an accident. I mean, it's a dude. It's a society. It's been a societal norm to be this binary culture, right? But I'm trying to learn as I go. Same thing with the podcast. The this D and D podcast I'm working on is probably mm-hmm. my fifth one. Yeah, and it's the most successful one uh, because I've failed in all of the other ones. 
But it's not a bad thing. From those other ones, I've learned how to yeah. become better and yeah. so forth. And I'm sure from this one, that we will continue to grow to get better from that. I mean, you can go... If you take a listen from episode one from Save the D8 yeah. to episode 30 <laughs> yeah, yeah, of yeah. Save the D8, there is a massive change. I mean, how, same with this podcast, man. Exactly. Like, we're, we're, we're trying to figure it out as we go. So, um, Okay, so uh, this episode is going to be released in January. Uh, do you have any projects or social media you want to plug? Just our Save the D8. Mm-hmm. Uh, please check us out. We should be coming up to the uh, a very intense arc at yeah. the moment. Mm. Um, I believe. We're How many in, episodes have you done already? Oh, I think we're on. I think we're on, we're getting close to sixty right now. Wow! Yeah, that's amazing. We we always drop one once a week. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if you could check us out on Twitter, check us out on Instagram. Our Instagram's real hot. Yeah. We've been getting a lot of a lot of likes on that. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to be a money-drubbing show at the moment, uh, we are launching our Patreon this month as well. Nice job. Um, yeah. yeah, we have decided to drop our Patreon to join a Discord because one of the other things that we do for our podcast is we love to have people submit their stuff in and if your idea gets submitted we actually even bring you into the podcast as an mpc cool we also uh with the patreon for five dollars a month we're planning on doing uh an extra long episode called a one shot mm-hmm. uh once a month for those listening uh, i know that we just had a special one done by kendall called the treaty of dragons that's dropping this this month cool and uh, I got a special Scooby Doo one that's coming up pretty soon. Hell yeah! Yeah, playing with those, mixing, mashing those uh, uh, crossover. Was that a crossover? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just you know, references. Yeah. And just having fun. That's 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 what I think is the main seller for our podcast. Whether it be all of the special effects and all that, I think the main reason why people enjoy our podcast is just because you get to hear us having fun. Yeah. What's the handle? Is it at save the D, the yes. D eight, the number eight? Uh, yes. At save the D number eight pod P O D. Got it. Okay. Evan Christopher, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Oh, you too, sir. Thanks for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks Zoe Schwartz for reminding us to stick around and mash at the top of the show. Join us next week as we talk to food expert, Evelyn Wilder. And if you like what you heard, help us out by subscribing to our podcast and leaving us a review. Find us at funhousefan.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at FunhouseFan, where you can get all the updates for everything Funhouse events, auditions, artistic opportunities, and script submissions. Join us. Bye. Party Fish Media Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.